Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. We are taking a break from Hosea. And we're going to be back there next week. But as we come to a close this year and start a new year, 2021 is almost over. It's just hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, this kind of goes even faster. It's just pretty wild. So I thought it would be good today to kind of refocus and evaluate how this last year has been and have you to evaluate how this last year has been for you and then look forward into a new year and just refocus on the primary things in our walk as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 27. You can go and turn there. The sermon title this morning is Follow Jesus. Just simple, follow Jesus. That's who we are. We are followers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're Christians. And so that's what it means to follow him. And so we're going to look at that. And... Uh, this is in some ways a complimentary sermon to a sermon I preached at the end of 2018, which came from the book of Luke, and it was a parallel passage to this passage here today. So I'm just going to read the passage, and then we're going to get right into it today. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23, down through verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We are facing something that's, I mean, pretty unparalleled in recent history in our country and world today. I, I really, as I tell you this, this isn't anything that's new to you. It shouldn't be because we've had our eyes open and ears open over this last two, couple years. And what we're facing today is, in reality, religions at war. Secularism claims to be irreligious or uh, a-religious, not religious at all. And yet it is very, very religious. There is a set system of beliefs that you must abide by, and it's at war with all other religions. Secularism claims all of life everywhere, and it claims to be authoritative in all of life. And it is at war at any religion who would claim ground for itself. So when Christianity says Jesus is Lord, secularism comes along and says, no, you can't say that because we're not all Christians here. Secularism and Christianity are at absolute war. We are facing religions at war. Secularism, statism, covidism, Marxism, narcissism, these are all religions and they claim authority over you and your family. Make no mistake, they claim authority over you and your family. They have rules that must be followed and if you don't follow them, you're labeled as a social outcast or a heretic. And it's important for us to recenter and refocus if we're gonna navigate in a biblical manner and walk faithfully behind the footsteps of our master we're going to have to understand and continue to understand all the things that we have been facing and that we are going to be facing. The world has a way. The enemy is in charge of the way of the world, the devil himself. 
And the devil and the world want you to live by their standards in 2021. And as we refocus at the end of 2021 and going into 2022, the world has a way for you to live and exist. And it offers it up on their platter and it presents it to you and says, please eat of me. Do things my way. Did God really say? Because here's what we say. And so we need to be aware. Fear, panic, trust the government, do whatever Bill Gates says or Tony Fauci says or the president says. We're told to be afraid of climate change. We're told to, above all, love yourself, put yourself first. And this year, we have a challenge, like we did last year and this coming year, to draw a line in the sand and to take our cues from the Word of God rather than from the world. You've heard me say this before, but I want to say it again. The more familiar you are with the world, the more you're going to question God's Word this year. But the more familiar you are with the Word of God, the more you're going to question the world this year. And it's always and forever important for us to have our hearts here, our noses here, our eyes here. We have to hear the words of God. Our Heavenly Father has spoken, and we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get to read His very words. And I don't want you to listen to the enemy. I don't want you to listen to the devil. And we don't want you to listen to the world. And the messages from the world are going to come. They're going to be front and center. They're going to be every day on the news. They're going to be... I mean, you're going to get hammered with them from billboards to radio ads to podcast ads to everywhere you look. You're going to get hammered with a, the message of secular orthodoxy. Here's how you should live. And Christians are over here building a different kingdom. We're over here building a different way of existence, a different culture, a different life. We're having joy and we're pressing forward when everybody else is in fear and trembling. I don't want you to be seduced by the world. So we turn to the word and we refocus again on what it means to simply follow Jesus. What did it mean to simply follow Jesus? Verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. These are the words of Jesus. This message, first and foremost, is for any and every person. It's for everybody. It's for absolutely anyone who would come after Jesus. He said to all, if anyone would come after me. And so the message is to everybody who would come after Jesus and everybody who has come after Jesus and everybody in the world that may one day come after Jesus. The whole world needs to hear this message. Any and every person and all types of people across the globe in every society. Sorry to those modern folks who think that somehow proselytizing for the Lord Jesus is wrong as they proselytize their message. We're to go out into all the world and tell and declare this message of the Lord Jesus Christ that each and every person must bow their knee and follow him. Jesus doesn't come to some people and say, follow me. He comes to everyone and the demand across the whole world is to follow Jesus. And we may need to make sure that we send that message to as many people as possible. And so when Jesus is speaking and says, if anyone would come after me, we should and every single person in the world should Turn their ear and listen. The God of the universe is speaking. I'm going to listen. And for us in this room who have, by grace, followed the Lord Jesus, we keep listening to his voice. It's not as if after following him, we turn our spiritual ears down. It's actually the opposite. Our ears perk up more and more and more when we hear our master speak the longer we walk with him. And so we come, we listen, and we're going to hear Jesus speaking. Each and every person needs to hear. 
And if anyone would come after him, Jesus is going to tell them how they must come after him. Because we can only come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. And we cannot come on our terms. We can't dictate those terms to Jesus and ask him to go along with our terms or standards. Jesus, would you please let me come to you in the way I would like to come to you? He doesn't do that. If we're going to come to him, we have to come to him on his terms. And if anyone is going to come, Jesus is going to tell them how they're going to have to come. And so we turn and we say, okay, Jesus, we're going to come and we're going to keep coming to you the way you would have us come to you. And Jesus lays it out really clearly. They have to, if, if anyone is going to come, they're going to have to deny themselves. They're going to have to take up their cross daily and they're going to have to follow him. And this, I said it a couple years ago in 2018, you can still see this on the website. I said it then. That the words deny yourself are the most offensive thing that Jesus could possibly say to this culture today. And I think that that's been exacerbated over the last, last couple of years. I think it's even more offensive three years later than it was just three years before. Deny yourself. That is the most offensive thing we could possibly say in a narcissistic culture that believes narcissism is a virtue. Staring yourself in the mirror, loving yourself, caring for yourself, and taking care of yourself, that is the orthodoxy of the day. That's what it means to live as a human today in secularism. And Jesus comes, and he throws that all out the window and says, no, you must deny yourself if you're going to have to come after me. You're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. We want to break these down and look at these, these three things specifically. Deny yourself. I have a friend... Dr. Paul Maxwell, I've not talked to in a couple years, but Dr. Paul Maxwell is a brilliant man, and I learned a lot from him. But last year, he read a book, and he's one of these famous people who have deconstructed their faith or whatever. He read a book about, it's a self-care book about loving yourself, and he has walked away from the Christian faith to fall more in love with himself, because he says for years he walked and lived in self-loathing and hated himself, and finally, this book gave him a path toward loving himself. And it's sad, it's heartbreaking. He has fallen right in line with the way of the world. Love yourself instead of loving Jesus. And he's abandoned his faith. He made a shipwreck of his faith. I think this message of self-denial is absolutely and utterly offensive to everyone in the world. And if we're not careful as believers, we'll turn and hear the Lord talk to us, and we'll hear Jesus' words, deny himself, deny yourself. And we're going to think, but don't you want me to be happy? I mean, we've walked with the Lord for many years now. Many of you have walked with the Lord for decades and still find self-denial something to be difficult. I mean, self-denial is not just a joy in the park. You know, like, yay, deny yourself today. I mean, I don't wake up every single day skipping at the fact that I get to deny myself and my selfish motivations from the inside out. And there's not been a day yet that all those selfish motivations and desires have just completely vanished. I mean, self-denial is a thing that's going to be there for the rest of our life. And Jesus said, to come after me, you're just going to have to deny yourself. That's just how it is. To follow Jesus, in other words, would mean to not follow ourselves, our wishes, or our demands, our desires, or our preferences. The Christian life is this lifelong battle of trusting Jesus over my own intuition. And often the way things are in the kingdom of God are contrary to the way, the way things seem to be to me. And so I'm going to have to lay down that, that intuition. I'm going to have to lay down the way I think things should be. And I'm going to have to take up what God says over and over and over again for the rest of my life. Life is not found in self-gratification or self-indulgence. 
But the message of the world and the message of the devil himself is indulge yourself. Like, treat yourself. Love yourself. Put yourself first. Self-gratification is what the world offers up as the path to life. And over the last 10 years, book after book after book after book has been repackaged with the same fundamental idea. You have to love yourself. And whatever you do, don't deny yourself. And that's a problem as we live in a world that has been catechized in instant gratification. If we've ever lived in a microwave culture, we live in a microwave culture today. Self-gratification with immediate results. That's what I want right now. And if it doesn't come back to me right now, if it's only going to come back to me later on, well, then I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to do whatever it's, going to, whatever it's going to take to find enough gratification for me to move on one day at a time. Self-indulgence works for a minute. It's just enough. That message from the world is just enough to keep those who want that thing and gives them just enough of a dopamine hit to keep on going after it. Self-indulgence, pleasure in the moment. Yes, I'm going to keep just loving myself to the day I die, and that's the way I'm going to get dopamine hit after dopamine hit after dopamine hit until I lie dead silent in the grave. At least I'll be happy. I'm just going to love myself and take care of myself. The problem is self-indulgence becomes this all-inclusive thing, all-consuming thing, to the point that Jesus sounds like he wants to rob you of the very things you want or think are going to make you happy. And Jesus says to those folks all over the world today who are saying, no, love yourself, don't lay yourself, get people around you who will just be all about you making your dreams come true. And Jesus is like, forget your dreams, deny those and follow me. And we can't tolerate being told, deny your dreams. We can't tolerate being told, deny yourself. Because we live in this self-gratifying, self-indulgent world. James Clear is a guy, a secular guy, non-Christian guy that's got enough common grace to recognize some of these things. He talks about how in his book, uh, Atomic Habits, which has been an interesting read, but he talks about how um, systems in your life, how you live your life is far more important than goal setting. And he identifies the problem that so many people have, which is that desire for those immediate results. And so instead of living your life the way you live your life, that over time produces these results, or you see these results come out, we live our life moment by moment. But life as a Christian is about a long-term commitment. It's drawing a line in the sand saying, I'm not going to do things my way. I'm going to do things God's way. And that's how it's going to be the rest of my life. It's a commitment to following Christ over the long haul, not just moment by moment, although that is included. And if you commit to God's ways over your own ways in time and over time, you will live the best life possible with the most amount of life and joy possible in this world until you die. That's going to include valleys and despair. But if you commit your life to, to becoming who God would have you be, and not just to instant gratification, but a life following the Lord Jesus over the long haul, that's going to be the most satisfying, gratifying, life-giving, joy-filled life you could possibly live. But Jesus says something else. He says, take up your cross daily. Now, the world runs from cross-bearing. They're, they're risk-averse, pain-averse, emotional abuse-averse. Everything's emotional, emotional abuse in our day-to-day, -day, right? I mean, everything is abuse. You know, you look at somebody the wrong way, you're an abusive person. I mean, well, they looked at me meanly. You know, they, they smirked at me. They're a bully. 
like you're the bully. This you're the bully for saying everybody else is the bully. And bullies are everywhere, right? I mean, it's like the bully culture now. One time I was at a store and they asked if I wanted to give money towards fighting bullying or something like that. And I was like, no, but how about you just give me some money back? Like, you should have to pay me for even asking something so silly. Not that bullying is good or anything. Please hear me. But here, Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Christians don't run away from challenges, nor do they run away from pain. Nor do they love it and just want it to be added on. It's not like we want more and more pain, more and more suffering. It's not like we're just kind of like wanting that kind of thing. But Christians are, are people who are willing to take up their cross daily. We are not people who are afraid of difficulty. We are not people that run away from challenges or from hurting people. Hey, Dad. Good morning. Thank you me. made it. Yeah. Lars <laughs> didn't go off. He's got an hour-long drive, so I mean, that's an hour and ten minutes, probably. Christians are people who run towards bearing difficulties, even for the sake of other people. They see family discord or pain or friends in harm's way, and they run to that. They don't run away from it. Christians are the kind of people that run toward toxic people. They don't demand toxic people get out of their life. They come and they bring peace with them into situations that are on fire. They don't run away from the fire. They take up their cross, whatever the burden it is that God has given them. And we know that Jesus is our burden bearer, of course. He has taken away all of our sins, and yet he has given us responsibility. He has laid talents upon us, and those talents and responsibilities that he's given, given us, they come with burdens to walk in. They come with responsibilities and obligations of stewardship and care. And he's going to give you areas and realms of responsibility in your life, and it's going to be a burden to walk in those. And every day we wake up and we say, I'm going to take on that cross, I'm going to take on that burden, whatever comes my way, and I'm going to march towards it, and I'm going to march through it, because the Lord is with me. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. We pick up what others fear. It's the only way to live. We do the hard thing, we do the right thing, not just the easy thing or the fun thing. And we take up even the suffering that comes our way, and we suffer as a Christian. That's what we do. That's what our friends in our church are having to do right now. We live with the Lord's help and we suffer as Christians. We don't ask all the time, why me or why this situation? The better question that every Christian must ask in seasons of difficulty is not why, but it's how shall I live as a Christian through this? What's my duty? What would God have me do through this pain? We don't have to understand the ways of God. And the secret ways of God, or why God is this way or that way, or isn't intervening, or is intervening for somebody else. Why did God bring healing to one person, but not to Bobby Boyle in the way that he would want him to? And we can't answer those questions. But what we have to do as Christians, and when we face difficulties like that, we don't under, have to understand the secret things that belong to the Lord, but we march through bearing our cross daily and we ask God, what will you have me do in this? What would you have me do in this and through this? That's how we suffer as Christians. We don't ask why the whole way through. We ask what? What should I do, Lord? And then Jesus says, follow me. Christians, it uh, sounds obvious, and so I'll just state the obvious. Christians follow Jesus. Christians follow Jesus. That's what we do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It, it seems like a no-brainer. 
But I want you to consider what's happened. Really consider it. We are not going to create an us versus them Christian thing. But we have to seriously evaluate what we've seen over the last couple of years. And we want to make sure that we're actually following Jesus. And we want to be praying for those who are claiming to be Christians but not actually following Jesus. Because that's a deep problem. It seems like a no-brainer. Christians follow Jesus because he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. In fact, it's become very popular over the last 15 or 20 years or so to not even call yourself a Christian. Just say that you're a follower of Jesus. Have you heard that? I call us Christians. I don't have a problem with that at all. But there's some people that won't even use the word Christian. They'll just say we're, we're followers of Jesus. It seems like a no-brainer. We follow Jesus. But here's the thing. Many Christians, many who claim to be Christians over the last, last couple of years, they have been diligently following the commands of other people more than the commands of Jesus. And let, keep it simple. We don't have to make it that complicated. We follow Jesus. Every Christian does. And we've seen religious zealots, not zeal, zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ, but zealous over the CDC as if their word is authoritative. And it's a massive problem. Or government agencies. And when Christians follow every letter of the law with I dotted and T crossed, government agencies more than they do the Lord Jesus Christ, they are cheating on Jesus. We follow Jesus. That's what we do. And it's not as if we just throw those commands out the window or throw any kind of wisdom that the world has to offer through the common grace of God out the window. But think about it. Listen to this. According to churchleaders.com, in January of 2021, so about 11 months ago, in-person church attendance was only 40% of what it was in January of 2020. 40%. Christians who are Christians who are not following Jesus. Going to church online is not obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're sick and you go to church and you have you have to like somehow or another tune in, that's one thing. But if you're not attending in church in-person church services, you are following the government and the CDC more than you're following Jesus. And that's a deep problem. It's a deep problem. It's really not that complicated. 40% is mind-blowing. In a lot of churches, you see this all, churches closing their doors and churches lamenting the fact that their attendance is still not at what it was pre-COVID. Why? Because people are not following Jesus. That's why. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. Well, there's a risk. And don't, do you want to care for your people? Guys, we obey the Lord. There's risks in every aspect of our life. In every aspect of our life. But we are not scared. We don't live in fear. So why is attendance down? Because people are those religious zealots of the state. Proselytizing the state commandments with great joy. Even to the point of defining what love your neighbor means. How crazy has it been that Christians have been taking our cues on how to love our neighbor from the media and the state. Since when do we look to the TV to tell us how to love our neighbor? I've said it once or twice. I'm going to say it again, and I hope this burns deep within your brain. 
loving neighbors never requires disobedience to God. Loving your neighbor never requires disobedience to God. Ever. See, this is a sermon about going back to the basics of what it means to be a Christian. And what it means to be a Christian is we follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. Nobody else is in charge. And when you see bubbling to the surface, massive amounts of commandments that are obeyed with zeal, you recognize that's a religious movement and that's at war with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We love our neighbors by going to church, singing loudly, gathering with friends and family, going to work, fighting tyranny, loving neighbor requires caring about the rights of our neighbor more than we do about the bidding of politicians. We follow Jesus. That's what we do. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us how to love our neighbor. He defines it. We follow him. That's what life is about. And this word life, it's so interesting because we see in these next two verses what everybody in our culture today wants to have. They, they claim to have, they, they, they write a book about it or write an Instagram post about it and tell you how you're going to find your life by, by loving yourself more and all this kind of stuff that we see. And Jesus is going to tell us how to actually save your life. You want to have life in this world? You want to enjoy your life? You want to find joy in the season that we're in right now, yes, even this season and the next season we're going to be in and the next season, you want to know how to find joy and literally, it couldn't matter what's going on around you. The whole world burning down. Okay, we're going to have joy. We're over here just loving the Lord. He's in charge. We're following Jesus. That's all right. We're moving forward. Well, here's how you save your life. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Save your life. Save your life. It's interesting. Now, first, I think it's important to note here, this is not talking about justification. This is talking about life in this world, this life that's offered, eternal life and life of joy, like real life that we get to live and have in this world. These messages that we get that our kids are inundated with every day is through the media and advertisements or advertisements that we talk about. You say advertisements, you sound smarter, I guess. Advertisements. All that you get, and we get everywhere. Put yourself first. We put yourself, put your happiness first. Um, if you do that, we're going to get to this here in a little bit because we're going to see something that the singer Adele said about leaving her husband. But if you do that, if you buy those messages, if you drink that cultural Kool-Aid, you're going to lose your life. The enemy whispers and shouts. The answer is just loving yourself more. The answer is found within you. And people all around are like, sounds right. And they become more and more narcissistic. And they keep being told that narcissism is a virtue. Literally, can you imagine a world and a society where loving yourself, dwelling on yourself is looked at as virtuous? Narcissism is virtuous? Being in love with yourself? And that's cultural orthodoxy. And it's proselytized to everyone with religious zeal. But if you will do the opposite and do 
what God is telling us to do, what Jesus is calling us to, if we step into that kingdom reality, if for the sake of Christ and his glory, we are willing to lay our life down. God, whatever you want from me, I'm not going to do things my way. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to walk in the wisdom that's from above rather than the wisdom that's in this world. I'm going to set aside my preferences. I'm not going to live for self-indulgent moment after self-indulgent moment. I'm going to live the way you would have me. I'm going to lay down my life and live it for the good of other people. I'm going to sacrifice for them. What does Jesus say? What happens? You actually save your life. You find what people say they're looking for. You get what everybody else wants, but you have to sacrifice yourself to get it. And that's intolerable in a world of narcissists. What about finding yourself? How often have you heard this? I just got to find myself. Who am I? Ladies say this more than men do, but it's there with men as well. That's why men go from hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby to hobby or gear to gear to gear. Why is gear so much fun? You know, it's like getting the stuff is almost as fun as doing the thing, whatever it may be. Brandon McEley knows what he's talking, what I'm talking about. Brandon got his AR and hadn't shot it once, but he got a red dot, red dot scope on it, sent me a message about it. Gear is fun, isn't it? It's like, gosh, it's so fun. I think I heard amen back there. <laughs> Gear is fun. There's all these different ways that, uh, that we can live. And uh, this message of finding yourself is this thing that everybody is just, it, it's like a part of what it means to be a human being. It's deep ingrained. It's like, who am I? Who am I? This question that comes from the inside out. And uh, the world, again, offers, it's the path. Okay, here's the orthodoxy of the world. Here's the statement of faith. If you want to find yourself, um, you got to go out and get what you want. And get everybody that's in your way of getting what you want, get them out of your way. Or get cheerleaders in your life that will only cheerlead, cheerlead your way towards what you want. And then finally, finally, you will find yourself. The path to finding yourself. Adele, the singer, was talking about explaining her divorce to her son, eight-year-old son, Angelo, and explaining her divorce from her husband. And she was just trying to explain it, that there was no real reason why they got divorced, that she still loves his daddy and all this, this sad stuff. And here's what she concludes, concludes with. If I can reach down to the reason why I left, it was a pursuit of my own happiness, even though it made my son very unhappy. If I can find that happiness, if I can find that happiness, and he sees me in that happiness, then maybe I'll be able to forgive myself for it. And you see how pathetic and dangerous and destructive this worldview is. She writes that, or says that, and there's a group of people that are like, you go girl. Yes! Once you're finally happy, your son will forgive you. And maybe you can finally forgive yourself. The whole world is built right now on sacrificing everybody else for your sake. That's what the abortion industry is about. You die for me, not I'll die for you. That's what this whole thing about life is about, and the path to happiness and find yourself, find yourself nonsense. 
It's about you live for me. I don't live for you. God, you exist for me. I don't exist for you. It's despicable. Adele's not going to find it. She's gained the whole world album cells that are like more than Michael Jackson. I can name like one Adele song. It's like they all sound the same. I don't know anything about Adele other than like one song about trying to cheat or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Made all this money and that's all she's got. I'm just trying to make myself happy. And she's not going to find it and neither will the world. With all the wishy-washy stuff, the find-yourself nonsense in the world, isn't it fascinating that the Christian is somebody who's actually found themselves? We actually got it. I know who I am. And if you're a Christian, you know who you are. And there's no question about it. I'm a child of the Most High God. My name's Jared. I'm a slave of the King. Joyful slave of the King. And I'll do his bidding. He takes care of me well. He provides me with everything I need to do his call on my life. And I have a heavenly father. And nobody's going to make me question that. I am a child of the most high God. I have what the world wants. And I have it by grace. When you know that truth, when you know who you are, and more importantly, you know whose you are, you don't say those silly things like that anymore. Oh, I just love myself and I want to find myself. You don't say that. It's out of your language. It's a done, settled thing. I am God's. I don't have to deal with that question anymore. You know his voice and you want to follow his voice because he's your father. This is what Jesus says in verse 26. Listen to this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Now, if you're familiar with the term red pill, red pill, that means you're not drinking the cultural Kool-Aid, basically. You've stepped into reality. You're, if, if you know two plus two always equals four, you've been red pill. If you don't believe that uh, gender or the color of your skin is a choice, you've been red pill. Okay. This passage three years ago in the book of Mark really messed me up. Because, guys, I've been preaching now for 14 years or so. And I'd be willing to bet that most people would say, you know, Jared has always wanted people to <laughs> preach the word and preach their books of the Bible. But this verse set me free. And I don't want to tiptoe around with anybody with what the word of God says. I don't want to be embarrassed or ashamed of anything that God has to say. And if anyone has an issue with God's word, that's their problem. And I don't have to apologize to them for what God has to say. There is freedom in this passage for everybody in here in the year 2022. Freedom. We don't have to walk on eggshells. Jesus has spoken. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I don't want him to be ashamed of me. Right. Now this is not a condition for salvation. This is a description of those who have life in Christ. This is a description of those who belong to God. It can be said by this, like this. To follow Christ, to be a Christian, means we believe in Him and we are never ashamed of God's Word. It's a description of you. We don't get to be ashamed of God's Word. We don't have to apologize to the world about anything that's offensive to them in this book. 
And this, there's so much freedom in this. Think about all the things in the world where you think, boy, I hope they don't know this is in there. If they, this group of people heard this passage, they would be really upset about it. That's how the law of God works. It cuts before it heals. The Spurgeon said that the needle of the law precedes the thread of the gospel. And, and what we have wanted to do largely over the last 30, 40, 50 years, 100 years, is take that needle out and bring healing to wounds that people don't even know they have. Because we've not wanted them not to be offended. They're not to be bothered by us. We don't want to sound like we're coming against them or condemning them. It's not we who are condemning them. It's God. Somebody's alarm's going off. Who's that sound like? I hope that's not mine. Mine's in the back. It was the Cohen's earlier this morning during... But not during the service, during, during practice. So somebody's alarm's going off. Anyways, walk of shame. It's about to happen for somebody. And they're like, that sounds like my vehicle. This verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. From the beginning of time... Please hear this, like from the beginning of time. Do we need to hit pause so we can hit that, or is it too distracting? Just zone it out. I'm really good at Jordan says I'm really good at zoning things out, focusing. Any other husbands in here like that? White SUV. White SUV. Someone's white SUV. Oh, it's it's Daniel again. It's the COVID. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Now, he'll have to miss this part. That's all right. From the beginning, in the garden, this has been the central issue of those who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been the issue of those who would call themselves children of the Most High God. The enemy comes in and whispers, brings advertisements, does whatever he has to do. And Satan's been tempting people with these words. Did God really say did God really say that? Did God really tell you that? Is that really what it means? I mean, come on. Don't you think we've grown out of that? That doesn't really mean that. We're progressives today, man. It's 2021. You can't take it like that. that you really think that means that? Like, well, I mean, it says it. Yeah, no, but just because God says something, he doesn't really mean it. I mean, come on, man. People are offended by that. And the devil comes in like, if you really want people to follow Jesus, you've got to make this more palpable. And then Satan's always been doing this. This deconstruction thing that happened with my friend, this deconstruction thing that's been going around, it always starts with questioning God's word. Always. Every single time. Did God really say, is God's word trustworthy or not? Or is the word I hear from the world, is the word I hear from the enemy, is the world that I hear from all these, these like narcissistic self-love people, is that better than God's word? And we must fight the urge. The urge that's there. The sinful desire that's still in there. That sin that still indwells in the heart that we still battle with even though we have a new heart. We must fight the urge to like some of the Bible and dislike other parts of the Bible. We must fight that urge to place some scriptures as more authoritative than other scriptures. To say that's more important than this, or this is more important than that, or I'm going to follow that but not follow this. 
We have to hear the words of our Father, and it's like a steak every single day. I'm going to savor that thing. If you don't like steak, it's like kale every single day. <laughs> Whatever you like, it's every day. You just chew it, and you savor it, and you love it. God, the things that are troubling to me, or I don't understand yet, God, help me to trust your word, your speaking voice to me. We must fight that urge. All of God's word is good and right. Every bit of it, we should never be ashamed or embarrassed about it. And here is the good thing. God's word gives us direction in all of our lives, directly or indirectly. We have explicit commandments on how to live our life for everything we would want to do in life. Or we have implicit proverbs and principles that give us guiding direction. And we have the spirit of God within us. We have everything we need to navigate the craziness that is this, this day, this year. You have everything you need this year through God's word, the spirit living within you to make the decisions you need to make, to do what God would have you do and navigate everything in a world gone mad. You have it by God's grace. We follow Jesus and we live by his word. And this year, I think, has been a year for us, many of you, of leaning in, having your eyes open to some things. And it's been a year of obeying God over man. These competing voices all around. And you kind of weed through these competing voices. You say, what does God say about this? What does God say about this? What is God saying about this? And then when you find that out, you say, that's where I stand. That's where I stand. And next year, and then the next year after that, commit to that. We know who we are. We're children of the Most High God, so we follow Jesus. That's what we do. Verse 27 tells us that this is the king of life. He, he says that, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And friends, if there were some there that did not taste death until they saw the kingdom of God, and there's a lot of confusion about the kingdom of God, but here's what we have to say. Is that if there were some alive to see it, then we are all alive to see the kingdom of God. Every single one of us. Nobody in here that's 2,050 years old or something. I mean, we're all seeing and living in the kingdom life. Some of them saw the kingdom of God ushered in through the ascension of Jesus to the throne, to the throne to reign and to rule and to put all of his enemies under his feet. And through the descension of the spirit of God into the hearts of the people of God, the kingdom of God is amongst us. We live as God's people building his kingdom as he builds it through us. We live the principles of the kingdom right in our life and around us from one family, from one household to another. We live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord has been the creed and the confession of Christians since the beginning. When everybody wanted them to say Caesar is Lord, Christians would say Jesus is Lord. No matter where we live throughout this world and throughout all of time, Jesus will always be Lord. Jesus will always be the one we follow. We are always his sheep, listening to the voice of the shepherd, doing his bidding and going where he goes, being protected by him from the cliff and from the wolf, being taken care of and guided. And I want you to remember, I want to remember this year that Jesus is king over me. It's simple. Follow him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is king everywhere, not just of me. And I want the world to know, I want everybody in the city, in this region to know that Jesus is king, whether they like that, accept that or not. Truth is truth, regardless of people who think that they can define truth. And Jesus is king. 
So I want you to be challenged by eight things. I want you to refocus in light of this passage, and we're going to be done here today. Number one, as we bring this year to a close and we step into a new year, number one, commit to denying yourself this year. Self-denial. Every message you'll get apart from Jesus is going to be, that's the path to the worst year ever. If you deny yourself in 2022, that's going to be a terrible year. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's, that's how we live our lives as believers. Deny yourself. Number two, don't live in fear over the crosses that are in your life. Do not live in fear over the crosses that are in your life. Instead, take up your cross daily. Don't run from the cross. Number three, follow Jesus. Real simple, follow Jesus. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And you, if you cannot follow, you follow Jesus by reading about him. No, the Spirit of God has come into our lives. And we have the Spirit within us and the Word in front of us. And we read, and as we read, the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and helping us to live our life to obey and follow Jesus. Number four, find life in living for Christ's sake. Christ's sake. That's what he says. Whoever would save his life, but whoever loses his life for my sake, I'm going to lose my life for the sake of Christ, for Christ's sake. So the challenge number four is find life in living for Christ's sake. We live for his glory and his purposes, not our glory and our purposes. Kids, help me out here if you've been working through the catechism or parents. Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. For his glory. We live for Christ's sake. The basics of what it means to live as a Christian. I don't live for my sake, I live for his sake. Number five, live who you are. Christians, you have found yourself. Who are you? And I'm going to give you the answers, then you can repeat after me. Child of God. Who are you? Who are you? You're also a slave of the king. Slave of the king. Who are you? Slave of the king. Is there any better news than that? You know who you are. You don't have to go out and find that. The moments that you feel like, eh, I don't know if that's true. You remind yourself of the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. How do we do that? How do we live as a child of God or a slave of the king? Number six, this year, commit to trusting God's word. Don't be embarrassed about what God has to say. Don't be embarrassed. Obey God over man. If you're not embarrassed, you're going to obey God over man. That's just what you're going to do. Now you're going to have a backbone that you never thought you had. If you're committed to not being ashamed of God's word, you'll find your courage. Because you know it's not yourself. Number seven, watch the kingdom as it's being built in front of you. If you'll commit to this lifelong following the Lord Jesus, God will build his kingdom around you. And there will be fruit in your life. And if, if we're not going to succumb to the popcorn, um, microwave culture, then we'll know as we're plugging along. Isn't it like this a lot of times with raising kids or grandkids? It's like you want immediate results. Like, it'd be nice if Ransom and I could have a conversation. And Ransom's like me. We have, it takes a while for us to learn some things. But disciplining of children requires consistency, not just a one-time thing, Right? I mean, how awesome would that be? Like one spanking would solve everything. You know what I mean? Like one epic 
and spanking that you referred to 25 years ago that changed everything. It doesn't work like that. In life, the kingdom of God doesn't work like one decision, all these results. It just doesn't work like that. It's a commitment to following Jesus. And what an adventure it is to following the Lord. I mean, look where he's brought you. Look at what he has protected you from. Look what he's walked with you through. And, I mean, you might be in it right now, but you're going to come out the other side. You're going to make it. You're going to survive. After all, God is the lifter of our head. Psalm 2, I think. He lifts our head. Number eight, really not a, uh, it's just really a statement. The Holy Spirit will help you. You are spirit-filled people. The Holy Spirit's going to help you this year. And friends, it's going to be an adventure, and it's going to be a joy. Let's pray.